Hey everyone, if you like the content that you're hearing, uh, please support the show. Uh, we have subscriptions up right now for a monthly dollar a month or up to whatever donation you feel uh, comfortable with. And also, you can hit my link R, which is in uh, the description of the show, uh, to send me donations for Venmo and Cash App. And all this goes into bringing in better quality and also better content. So thank you. Have a good day. If you're really real enough, other rappers is delirious. Yeah, it's really that serious. Better holler if you're really feeling me. I gotta keep it a hundred. Ayy, if you don't like it, then fuck it. Ayy, we gonna win in the end. Yeah, we gonna live in abundance. Ooh, I gotta keep it a hundred. Ayy, if you don't like it, then fuck it. Ayy, we gonna win in the end. Yeah, we gonna, we gonna, we gonna. I gotta keep it a hundred. We gotta stop all the stunting. You know we coming from nothing. Yo, you talking about money, you bluffing. We gotta do something different. We gotta change how we live in. We gotta do better for women. We gotta do better for children. We gotta listen to victims. Whether Jewish or Muslim or Christian. It doesn't matter your religion. You gotta stand against the system. Or else you just another villain. How you just sitting there chilling? Right here we are. Hello, everyone, on the uh, airwaves and the news and Spotify, everywhere, everybody around the globe. Uh, shouts out to Germany for giving me a little platform. Uh, shouts out for everybody locally that's supporting the podcast. Um, I have another special guest, and this is actually one of uh, our. One of my comrades again. Um, <laughs> I had a uh, Tanya. I had a article wrote and written about me. They were saying, "Oh, he calls everybody on his podcast uh, comrade." When I only call certain people comrade. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm honored to be one of your comrades. <laughs> yeah, it was so. I was like, "This is awkward." Like, come on, that you got to earn that. Comrade. <laughs> oh no. Headphones acting weird. Okay, there we go. Headphones being fucking weird. Let's get together, headphones. All right. So Tanya is a artist, musician, <laughs> activist, artist, musician, same thing. But anyway, Tanya, you wanna tell you wanna tell the people about the stuff you do? <laughs> sure. Yeah. Uh I do all kinds of stuff. As you said, I do some, a lot of music stuff. Uh, I've been playing music and in a band since I was like 16, but right now I'm uh, Villa Asylum. I mostly are on Spotify and Bandcamp, but I usually just play like kind of like punk music is what I've mm-hmm. always been into. And then um, I guess on terms of uh, activism stuff, I'm a uh, done a lot of work with the Party for Socialism and Liberation, as well as Mutual Aid here, where I live in Middletown, Connecticut. Mm-hmm. Um, we've and been by doing... the way, like when she says that, like Mutual Aid, she literally gave out more money than the state did. I just want people to know that. <laughs> <laughs> like the the org that the group that she works with there in Middletown literally gave out more money than the state did, just to make that clear, people. <laughs> 
Like, <laughs> yeah, just all donations raised from other people around Middletown. So it was really awesome to be able to sort of redistribute all of that uh, wealth to people who needed it. Yeah, that's freaking dope. Like, how in the world did that happen? Like, did you expect that to happen at first? Uh, no, what <laughs> had happened was, I mean, around pandemic time, right? Uh, Lots of mutual aid groups are popping up around Connecticut, and I had heard, I think it was through Facebook or something, somebody uh, uh, from the DSA had set up a meeting of just like, hey, if you're possibly interested in doing any mutual aid or starting a group, join this video chat. And so I hopped on there, and then one thing led to another, and... Uh, we had a coalition of all of us working on uh, all kinds of mutual aid projects. There's a community fridge that's still going on. But yeah, then we decided that a lot of people came to us being like, we just don't have money for utilities or rent. And uh, especially because the Eversource, the utility company here, doubled everybody's uh, electricity rates for the length oh, of like... Man, that happened there too? Yeah. Man. And um, so a lot of people couldn't afford things. So we were just like, the, get, being able to supply food and things like that is nice. But sometimes what people need is just direct cash to be able to keep their home or their electricity running and things like that. So right. we started that and then it just totally blew up way bigger than we ever thought it would. <laughs> wow. Wow. Did it get overwhelming at any point? Uh. I mean, I would say yes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> just because just there, so, there were so few of us at the start. Right. Um, so there was, it was when it came to like the direct cash assistance program, I was uh, one of the folks in charge of it, but I was working with maybe one or two other people um, like regularly on it and where you had like tens of thousands of dollars coming in. And, uh, you know, upwards of like well over a thousand applicants for the cash assistance. So three of us trying to uh, keep track of, create a system to keep track of all of that. And then running around, I spent most of the summer of 2020 on my bike riding around town, <laughs> just like <laughs> delivering cash to people. Uh, and it was definitely a very busy time with not a lot of folks uh, to to manage everything, but I think we did a really good job for like the resources that we had, which oh, were yeah, very. I nice. did. I really did, and I love how you're. I love how like what you guys did set a a, a standard, um, and lit the fire even more for other orcs that want to try other new things and stuff like that. Um, you, you definitely did. I saw I I because you know on the back end with with what I do with life in my days, I've heard the conversations about what Middletown has done and stuff. And, and they're like, well, let's try this out. They did it. Let's try this out. Or like the food, the, the, the community fridge. Oh, let's try this out. You know, like it really like lit the fire and gave people more nuance on what else they can do to help out the mutual aid. Um, which is why I'm so happy that you're on here. <laughs> you have done so much and you're a great musician and we're going to get into all all that but i want to like talk about how important it is like you did that with only one or two people basically that were main you had other volunteers but it was mainly just one two 
three people, right? That you had. So it's like, what if, what if you had more involved, you know, and it's a sacrifice, you know, it really is a sacrifice. And, um, this story is this story should encourage people that are listening to like oh what what can i do to make a change what outcome can i do to make a change in this capitalist late capitalist system that's just so barbaric um and making everyone just want to think about themselves um stories like these can give you ideas of oh okay if i could just you know have a conversation with like one two of my friends we could like probably put something together you know yeah (laughs) It just starts there. <laughs> yeah, it really does. Cause yeah, it just started so small, just a meeting of like maybe like four four of us or something like that. And <laughs> and then we just said, let's just start putting up flyers and uh right. putting out like making like you know, like social media pages and stuff like that. And then yeah, it was really I think the thing that I learned like one of the most uh, important things about like doing mutual aid and kind of work in a similar vein it's just how once there's an opportunity for people to to participate and and help other people around them like it really like the amount of people that i wasn't really expecting to i don't know i guess like participate in these kinds of activities of like giving money directly to like homeless people and poor people and stuff like that like so many people and like of my own friends and people I know just came out of the woodworks to be like, Hey, I know we haven't talked in a while, but I see all the work that you're doing and I'd love to like donate or like uh, volunteer when I can. And it's really just like, it's awesome. Sort of like the domino effect that occurs when people see that, like there is an opportunity to do good in the community. Right. Right. And this is working class power right here. Everyone. They, and this is what the working class can do. They didn't, you, you guys didn't get stipends or anything. You, this was all volunteer time. You were giving yeah. out money. <laughs> yep. Money that you could have <laughs> used for your own, own finances. Cause everyone, <laughs> you know, but you literally took the time out as a working class person and just went out there. Like you, you did it girl. Like, <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Is this still going on or is it like dwindling down? I know the pandemic um, going on yeah. right now. Yeah. I guess it's been dwindling down a little bit. I have been slightly disconnected from it uh, as of late, simply mm-hmm. because of my job. I was right. working. Uh, well, I am continuing to working eighty-hour weeks right now. I just work in oh, engineering, God. and so I kind of <laughs> I can't work whenever the construction workers have to work, which is. Right, all the time, almost. So, I just don't physically don't have the time <laughs> to be as participatory as much as I would like. But I'm hoping that when right, this right, is right. all over, I can uh, sort of reconnect back into the work. Wow, eighty hours a week. <clears throat> yep, construction <laughs> is, is money. <laughs> yes, it is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, I got paid overtime. How did you get? What was that? Sorry. How did you get into get into construction? Um. Well, I'm. I I went to college for civil engineering, so I have worked a couple jobs in that field, and um, just my latest job is like a lot of civil engineering is 
both like designing buildings and roads and bridges and stuff like that. And it's also going out and inspecting when they're actually physically building it just to make sure that the contractor meets it to, you know, state specifications and how it is on the plans because things that private contractors love to do is to cut corners to save on costs. And then that ends up, you know, resulting in poor infrastructure. So we end up uh, often going out into the field and having to basically inspect and uh, construction projects. So that's what I've been doing for like the past two years. I haven't really been in the office at all. (laughs) I've just been out at various uh, construction projects around the state and just sort of, yeah, making sure those private contractors don't cut any corners. That's dope. That's the due diligence right there. So have you guys talked about what's been going on in Florida? Because Jesus Christ, like buildings are going down, bridges are like being seen as like, oh, this could happen any moment. <laughs> it's getting yes. Right. <laughs> Especially Miami. <laughs> no, I could go forever about the infrastructure <laughs> here in the United States, <laughs> but it's, yeah, it's really bad condition. I mean, most things were built in the, in the fifties and around that time, just as the, the car was really, being uh pushed here in the united states and it uh immediately after you know especially in the 80s uh sort of all funds for maintaining public most public things but especially public infrastructure kind of fell to the wayside and i know that like a lot of cities are being bankrupted right now because of uh how they ended up designing things which is very much around cars and right like you can't get anywhere around the United States. At least I know here in Connecticut, pretty much unless you own a car. Yeah. And that was right. very deliberately by design for the auto industry, which lobbied most of the governments here to basically say, build these huge highways <laughs> and, right, um, right. and create these massive suburbs, which are, you know, not very dense and they're very, a very inefficient way to, sort of design communities in general, but like places of living. And so what ends up happening is uh, it generates some more tax revenue for if you build more suburbs or things like that uh, temporarily. But as soon as the roads start to decay, most places realize that because of the low density of a lot of suburban housing and living in uh, Connecticut and elsewhere, that the amount of taxes that they're bringing in is far like not enough to pay to repair the roads that they built. Um, so like usually the option for cities and towns are either raise taxes extremely high in order to make up for that and be able to repair things or simply not repair them or uh, build more suburbs which results in the same problem 50 years down the road. So right now we're at the issue of in the 1950s and 60s, they built all these things. Now, 50 years later, everything's falling apart. And all of a sudden we don't have the money to fix anything. So, (laughs) you know, I I, I would take it seriously now whenever somebody complains about potholes. (laughs) 
this yeah. is deeper than I thought. <laughs> no, it's a very deep political issue is just the state of infrastructure and how it's built in the United States, especially. And certainly Canada as well in many parts is it, the situation is very awful because uh, it, they built the country around cars, which it turns out is a very bad idea because right. cars are terrible ways of transporting large amounts of people. <laughs> yeah, so it sounds like we need to build a, a a better improved public transportation type of thing for the United States, like how China has. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, like that is uh, obviously like the best way to move large amounts of people around. If you're just talking about like, um, yeah, like public infrastructure, trains, we have a kind of pre-established train network here and we just haven't updated it in literally forever. <laughs> I've worked on the railroads for some of my jobs mm -hmm. and they're falling apart and old yeah. and uh, because they're privatized. How, how far did they go back? How what? How far does the railroads date back? Like, are they like 50s as well? Or did they go back? Uh, no, they go further back. I remember being out on the rails and looking at some of the the wooden beams that go underneath the tracks. And some of them had dates as far back as like uh, late 1800s, early 1900s. Oh, wow. Uh, very, very old infrastructure. Yeah. yeah. And <laughs> we have these existing tracks, but because they're privatized, um, <clears throat> there's no incentive to really make them uh to to really improve them there's a lot of like basically the private companies don't want to pay for the maintenance um maintenance gets expensive right. and they're all about short-term profits so they're like we can just hold on for not repairing it for a long time and the united states is like one of the few countries with a private rail system and almost all of our rail companies are bankrupt and they're actually being subsidized. They only are staying afloat because they're subsidized by the state. So mm. it's what's stupid is they're private corporations, but they are literally living off of mm. our tax dollars. So we could just nationalize mm. our train networks and just make them publicly like public utilities because they basically already are like in terms of like, we are paying for the railroads through all of our taxes, but all of the revenue generated by railroads is just driven into the pockets of whoever owns the railroads, probably some old Rockefeller yeah, <laughs> heirs or whatever. <laughs> well, you know, the owner's probably going to be like, yeah, that's a good idea, but how am I going to pay for my mansion? <laughs> yes, exactly. You know, what if I have to sell one of my five houses if you nationalize this? <laughs> I have to sell my five houses so these people can have better quality transportation. <laughs> <laughs> no, but that's but... not what they're doing. They're basically just going to get cut away from the but the business, right? Or they'll be put into some type of role while they uh. Well, how would that look? Basically, they'll just like. Nationalize, nationalize the uh, transportation companies. Um, start. Let's just focus on the railroad. So they nationalize the railroads. All that old shit is supposed to be like in the 1800s that's still on the railroads. They get that up 
and they place in new standard-of-the-art stuff. They should do bullet cars like China. But, mm-hmm. um, and then, so would they still have the owners? Would they still have a like position in the process of it being nationalized, or is this like a program that would just cut them out and the government would take full control? Like, I, I I'm pretty sure you don't have that answer. But like, how would you think that would look? <laughs> sure. I mean, I I may not have like the total complete answer, uh, but right. you can also like. If you're interested, like uh, the UK actually mm-hmm. <clears throat> went through a process of their, they had nationalized rail. And then after a huge lobbying push, they privatized the rail system. And basically privatizing the rail system became such a huge disaster and everything started falling apart and nothing worked. And there was such an outrage and protest that they ended up renationalizing <laughs> the railroad. Mm-hmm. And I think that was fairly recently, within the past few decades. Um, so, like, yeah, that's definitely, that. there's a real-life example of, of that that I'm sure, like, if you looked into it, you could find details of how that process works. Um, but I would imagine that, yeah, people that are definitely on all levels of railroad maintenance and including upper management would probably just be brought in and just be put on the payroll of the state because they have an idea, like they know how to run things and make sure they're on time. It's really just, I imagine that a lot of the, a lot of the people that are involved now would continue to be involved. It would just be that maybe the, the CEOs would get a cut in pay and uh, you know the motives for creating and updating railroad would be you know rather than to fill the pockets of specifically the few owners of what little rail we have left here uh but it would be to you know it would redirect it to hey we are a public fund uh publicly funded institution and we have to uh you know, our job is to provide goods and services, good transportation to people to make sure they get where we want in an ideal state, of course. Right. right. <laughs> and I'm, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I hope that some people <laughs> from, or I was going to say, I hope that some people from like the state and even at a federal level will be brought into like the boards of these individual like rail networks so that, you know, we have some democratically elected uh, or selected officials that can help run these things to make sure that it is run for the people and, you know, right. by the people because, uh, and make sure we don't overlook like communities that actually need it. Right. Yeah. Especially like that would do so much well in like communities like New Haven and stuff like that. Like they had the cute ass trolley trains back in the day. They should bring that back. No, they did. No, <laughs> they did. I actually was just learning about the other day how they uh, uh, the reason those are gone is because the uh, private auto industry uh, basically, in an attempt to force everybody to drive, they would uh buy out all of the trolley companies and all of the otherwise public transportation companies or at least like large transit companies they would buy them for a really high price 
and then they would immediately dismantle them and they'd shut down all of the trolleys they'd shut down all of the transportation and oh my god they'd, yeah they'd stop working and then because then you can't take a trolley so now you have to buy a car from the company that bought out the trolley company so <laughs> it sounds like the car industry does not like to be dealing with competitive sea. They're like, oh, they got trolleys. Let's let's buy them out, get rid of it, force people to buy cars. And, and if you're taking a bus, you're broke. <laughs> Basically. Seriously. Now that's how it goes. That's capitalism, baby. <laughs> Just oh, you don't have a competition. I hear all the time. You don't have a license. <laughs> the car industry got us here, man. They got us. <laughs> It really did. I mean, I I grew up in a town where I had to uh, get a license and have a car or I literally couldn't survive. <laughs> like I was like 10 minutes, ten, a 10 minute drive from like the nearest gas station. And that was the only thing that was like within a 10 minute drive vicinity <laughs> of me. But, like if I oh, had, man. if I didn't have the ability to drive and I didn't own a car, I just you probably wouldn't be able to live. So, and that's the problem is like owning a car is hella expensive. People that, you know, have other bills to worry about and just want to keep their home and things like that. Can't also add car expenses onto that. And And then Connecticut uh, wants to be like, here's the car tax. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. All of that sounds so scary. (laughs) Oh, this is why I don't have a car. <laughs> but I, I am trying down. to get rid of mine. Yeah, <laughs> I'm trying to move down. You try to get rid of yours? <laughs> Maybe we can break a deal after you know when you're ready to get rid of yours. Maybe we can break a deal. Sure, we can probably do that when you come down to New Haven. <laughs> mm-hmm. It is a little bit more accessible in New Haven. It is. Yeah, no, it's a nice place. Yeah. That's why I want to move down there and be able to ditch my car, get a place like on the green so I can just walk everywhere. Cause it's like expensive to live in new right. Haven, but I can save a ton of money if I just don't have my car. So <laughs> it'll yeah. even each other out. Yeah. Middletown is like a spread out area, right? Very spread out. Uh, fairly spread out. Um, where I live is fairly close to the main street, which is actually very dense. Um, purely mm-hmm. because we have Wesleyan University here, so it's kind okay. of like a college yeah, town. Right. <laughs> yeah, and um, in New Haven, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, Wesleyan is a whole, a uh, huge gentrifying force in Middletown that we've. Are there Ivy League? Uh, I don't think they're Ivy League, but certainly they are one of the more uh, expensive and or elite schools. Like, yeah. definitely people of wealth go to Wesleyan. And a lot of, <laughs> when we were doing uh, when we were doing the cash assistance program, uh, we definitely targeted Wesleyan students a lot for giving us donations and uh definitely that's where a large amount of the funds that we were able to raise came from was uh wesleyan students and um and probably some of their families as well but we also had several wesleyan students that were a part of mutual aid 
um, that were sort of raising yeah. awareness within the college community. And uh, that has continued, which has been really awesome. I've done like several interviews for like the Wesleyan uh, newspaper, the Wesleyan Argus, I think it's called, but they, they've mm-hmm. like interviewed, done interviews for mutual aid and a lot of that stuff. So now it, the kid, uh, the students, there are a little more tied to this community, which is really great because the town of Middletown tends to uh, give Wesleyan whatever it wants. <laughs> um rise and it it ends up being sort of bad for the community at least like it becomes better for the students and uh more difficult for people who actually live in middletown here so it's nice that a lot of the students there are taking an interest in you know uh, the interests of the community um rather than the interest somebody might hear that and, and like, be like, like, why would you say that Wesleyan is trying to destroy Middletown? Doesn't Wesleyan make Middletown better? Just like how a lot of people feel like New Haven would be nothing without Yale. Like, can you give a story of like what happened, which Wesleyan basically just gentrified and harmed the community? Like, do you have a story you could give somebody that could understand how like colleges? impact cities that they're in (laughs) yeah absolutely um i mean uh especially uh with wesleyan and with yale yale those are private institutions so there are people that like they're the presidents that own and run them and just like any sort of private business you know their goal is to their their primary goal is to make money and so um, there are a lot of programs in a, a while ago, there were Wesleyan did used to run a bunch of programs for sort of the Middletown community. Um, but since they decided to, uh, they decided to focus on profits as much as they could instead. And so there are now a lot of like empty buildings and empty areas in Middletown that used to be, run by the uh, run by the campus that are now non-functional as well as and so but they still a lot of places still remain the property of Wesleyan so what ends up becoming happening is you have a lot of otherwise usable and or public land being slowly bought up by these large universities I know it's an issue with Yale down in New Haven, especially, I hear about Yale purchasing, you know, entire streets and really basically sidewalks (laughs) (laughs) and things like that. And to a slightly lesser degree, because Yale is Yale, um, uh, but like we have that here in Middletown as well. And there's just a lot of, there's a lot of rhetoric tossed around of like, of course, like, I've been in meetings with the president of Wesleyan and um, when we were, we were sort of talking in talks with the people that ran the campus uh, in regards to mutual aid and wanted to have a conversation Mm -hmm. about helping the community and what Wesleyan can do as an extremely wealthy university uh, to help give back and help the people that are struggling here. 
And there was a lot of rhetoric talk. There was a lot of, um, like, of course we care for the community. Of course, of course we, we do so many things for the community, blah, blah, blah. And then when it came to us actually being like, so how about like, here's a program that we have come up with that we don't have the funds for, but your university does. And would you be like, can you do this program? I think it was just like, it was a while ago. I think it was like trying to provide like lessons for people or like, um, yeah, like free tutoring or something like that as well as just like uh, running more community centers and, and things like that that the community can use. And immediately the president was uh, fell back on, well, no, we can't actually divert any of our resources and money towards any community programs because then we'd have to fire all, like we'd have to fire a lot of people and things like that. And what? Yeah, it's, that's a very typical, very typical capitalist move because I've experienced it before because they say that. And then you look at like, you know, what the average, even like professor, but they were probably, he was talking more like, uh, you know, people a little lower down on the rung that are making, you know, medium, median wage, which is like, I don't know, anywhere from like 50,000 a year or something like that. And but you look, you can, I mean, it's publicly available. You can look at the owner of the president of university salary, which is like a million or something like that. It's uh, like he could easily give away a small portion of that wealth if he wanted to out of, out of their own pocket and be able to fund these things and give back to the community but they are choosing not to and using the deflection of, no, I can't possibly give away my own massive wealth. If we wanted to do good things, we'd have to harm the people below me <laughs> because oh I'm not giving up what I have. So they, they sort of basically were like, no, if you want to run this program, you have to accept that a bunch of people are going to lose their jobs. And of course we didn't want to be responsible for that, but it's, that's why it's much more of a structural issue of private institutions and, you know, things that are privately owned that that one person at top can make these decisions of being like, no, you can't take all my money. You can't take a portion of my money because just because I say so yeah. and I will hurt people below me because I, you know, there's nobody uh, to really keep me in check because the town also well, basically, because of the revenue that's brought in by the students that come in, will basically do whatever Wesleyan says. Mm, mm. Wow! 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 Um, um, maybe, maybe I don't understand I don't the reasoning think. about. Oh wow! There's a little echo. Um, yeah, I don't know if I can turn it down. I can also grab headphones. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. Let me do that really quick. <laughs> yeah, okay. So while Tanya's grabbing headphones, um, so I just think it's just so hilarious how a program that can help out a community can only work at the cost of more working people losing their jobs. So 
basically working people that work at Wesleyan, he's saying that they will lose their jobs if they give you this program. So that's just so messed up. And it doesn't make sense to me logically, but what it'll definitely do if that was possible, you'll see working people that worked at Wesleyan be against working people that will benefit from that program. So it'll be a whole nother division that capitalism has designed for people to focus on pointing at us instead of pointing at the power while the power just continues to sway and move. And he makes a million dollars salary. That's it's insane. So his student loans are paid, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> of course. His damn student <laughs> loans are paid. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> Lucky I mean, we shouldn't even have student loans. Right, right. Biden said that he was going to uh, give us 10 grand each to go towards our student loans. He ran that on his campaign. He said he was going to do that. He got elected. And here we are a year into his election. And he recants and says the state, the payments are going back on February 1st. That's just. Yeah. <laughs> he lied. He lied. He fucking lied. It's typical Democrat fashion. Uh, Thank you. Just <laughs> promising the world, and not even the world, because like ten thousand dollars is like when I got out of college, I owed I owed I think over thirty thousand dollars, and because I went to uh, public uh, college, but yeah, that would cover sure. Cool, that covers a third of my loans. <laughs> but right. I know other people. Even like my brother has like a hundred thousand dollars in loans, stuff that he's going to be paying off for the rest of his life. Jeez. So really, like Biden was like, "We'll give you this tiny, like morsel, <laughs> this little tiny scrap," and then said, "Actually, we're not even going to give you that. We're not even going to dig you." Literally canceled debt with the swift of his pen, with no problem. Just absolutely. But how else well, are they going to pay for our military? exactly 700 billion dollars people 700 billion dollars is the new budget that just been passed by uh dc for defense so 700 billion dollars to bombing people but no 700 billion dollars to the working man no 700 billion dollars to the students that have graduated and were promised careers because that's what they went there for none of that no 700 billion dollars for those people but seven hundred billion dollars to bomb people overseas. Oh, definitely. That sounds like a plan. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, it's because we have fair. to fight China and yes. <laughs> yes, Russia. Obviously, those. Obviously, that's more. That's more important, and then I don't know. Giving, letting people live inside of our own country. <laughs> right. 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 It's like okay. What was going on at the border? But China, okay, why can't I have food to feed my kids? Why do I have to go all the way around the world, EBT, not around the world, but around the whole fucking place, trying to figure out how we're going to feed kids? Can we go to this food bank? Can we go to that food bank? I know, but China, um, how am I supposed to find a job to pay my bills? And then I get laid off, and now I'm struggling. And then I thought I was going to have some cushion time with unemployment, but now unemployment is being destroyed. So, well, I'm struggling. But China, it's <laughs> yeah, it's but ridiculous. China, 
Yeah, and China I mean, it's before. a... China <laughs> took the food away. China got your kids going around shooting up schools. China is going around taking your uh, health care. It's China. I figured it out. <laughs> yeah, it's not it's not our own government that literally has control over all of those things. And as you said, could erase our debt, could, <laughs> you know, nationalize, like we were talking before, could nationalize the train network and actually give us functioning trains. Yeah. But, of course, we can't. It's They need a boogeyman to blame it on because otherwise people would be like, hey, we... We have all this money, clearly, that you're giving as either bailouts to large corporations or yeah. to, you know, the military and Pentagon. And what's sad is there's so much that we could learn from China of right. so many things that they are doing well over there. Like you had mentioned about, like, their train network, which has been massive, I think, in the past, like, 20 years or so they put down like 25,000 miles of rail and you know have some of the highest uh tech uh high speed trains out there right and it was with the, France too right it was France that collabed with them yes yeah and so they were able to yeah there are so many good examples of just both collaboration and also just how to how to work things when it, either when it comes to public transportation, which uh, obviously China's way ahead of us on because and it's works out so much better. Again, it's for it's a lot better for working class people, especially poor people, when you have public transportation available because cars are expensive. Right. And you also have like there we have so much poverty still in America uh, working in mutual aid. I've seen it and I've talked to so many people uh homeless or on the verge of homelessness that you know there there are people out here right now in the united states that are suffering from extreme poverty and because the government chinese government refusing. doesn't want um, them to have any uh, uh upper hands <laughs> that's yes why. that's what it is why that's what it suffering. is <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but it's like our own government could 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 step in and fix those things. And just like China has, they've eliminated extreme poverty over in China, which is a massive, incredible feat. And they've done that with significantly less resources than we have in the United States, the you know, wealthiest country in the world. But none of that wealth gets into the hands of working class people, unfortunately. Right. 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 I want to show you this video. Um, so Kamala Harris talks to uh, this radio guy by the name of Charlemagne the God. I don't know if you're familiar with him. He's I have definitely heard that name before. <laughs> yeah, he's, he does a radio show, but he also has his own show now, which I guess he shows his true personality and stuff. He's a liberal, but I'll pay attention to him when he says... Like he's really liberal, you know. He's rich and he stands with the government and stuff like that. Like, yeah, it's not like a Bernie bro liberal that you could like try to talk to. Like, oh, you know, it's like straight up. Like, yeah, like I still support capitalism. Like, straight up, bro. Like, <laughs> um, yeah. I want to show you this video because he uh, had Kamala Harris, who is well. If people don't know by now, if you live under a rock, she is our first black uh, vice president. Who used to be a cop <laughs> and put a yeah. lot of work 
California's people, top cop. Top cop, yeah. <laughs> and put a I'm lot of Harris. black people in jail, but still wants to say that she stands for black stuff. But all right. <laughs> you know, it's a few things still left on the I'm table. Okay. What happened to that student loan money? What happened to the ten thousand dollars promised to the to the students with student loan debt? Why did they renege on that? So I know you had Secretary Cardona on recently, and and I'll tell you, he is working to to increase relief for students. And I, you know, look, I get it. I get the issue that you're talking about. I I had I had student loans. I mean, look, it's right now we have so many people, tens of millions of people in in the United States who are dealing with student loan debt and responsibilities, and it, it's standing in the way of them being able to start a family or buy a home. And it's real, and we need to deal with it. Um, you know, I remember I'm going to date myself, but, you know, I had that little coupon where I'd have to pull out the coupon and, and put in the number and send a check with it every month. And and that's real. That is real. <laughs> All right. Anyway. Wait, is that thing yeah. still playing? <laughs> No, no, I think it's, I think it's, I uh, Kamala, but, Harris, Kamala Harris is hilarious. Like, she literally tries to relate, and then when she tries to talk about how she relates, she doesn't relate at all. Like, she's just been in power for so long in her life that she just totally disconnected. Like, I could just sense it. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's what happened to our $10,000 that was promised, and then it was just like, a lot of stammering about, oh, uh, yeah, a lot of people are hurting right now, and we're <laughs> gonna do a thing. Maybe somebody's working on it. Uh, <laughs> She's not the Secretary of State. <laughs> yeah, like, <laughs> like, cool. You could you're you're acknowledging that there's a problem, but how are you? What are you doing to fix it? <laughs> <laughs> and that's what they never want to say because they don't actually intend to fix the problem. But what shocks me is that people buy this. Like they literally, I see this as a talking point because I saw the interview with Secretary Cordona. He said the same thing. We're working on it. What are you working on? Biden just said that y'all got to pay. So what are <laughs> they working on? <laughs> like is there's the always point? there's always a committee. There's always some board member. There's always somebody that's working on it. <laughs> and there's never any actual, nothing ever comes of it. It's just somebody's always working on it. <laughs> this is embarrassing. Because if it was the Republicans, they would have did something already. Trump would have signed a whole executive order that was probably reactionary as hell that's related to this. Like, Yeah. It's, it's so Unfortunately, they're the ones that get things done. Because then it gets done and cool, we'll Give people even more loans. Let me sign that real quick. <laughs> <laughs> like, I don't understand it. It's like, bro, it's right there. You don't need to call the Senate. You don't need to call Congress or anybody. Just go in the room, drink a glass of wine or something, whatever you do to get it, yourself in the mood, write that shit down. And instead of 10 grand, cancel debt. We're the only country that does not have I'm not only country, we're the only what they will say a first world country, a leading country that doesn't have free college at this point. Like mm -hmm. or healthcare. Yeah. Or healthcare, especially healthcare. I'm uh, right. aware of that. <laughs> right. I have to deal with that all the time. I just uh 
I just uh, got had to switch over insurance. Luckily, my company provides uh, some insurance, although I still have to pay for it. So, like, kind of what's the point? But, like, cool, it's taken on my paycheck. But, and, uh, I mean, just uh, the problem with all these private insurance companies for me as a trans person is they really don't like to insure trans people's medication. So I'm currently stuck right now and forced to uh luckily i have some other uh friends that are trans but like i need to get my hands on some uh estrogen because my insurance doesn't cover it unless it's delivered to me in this very specific way what <laughs> yes wow. i had to look it up and there's like i had to go through all of this paperwork and i'm like why am i not getting insured for this and there's this tiny list of like specialty items and it's all like trans related healthcare and a couple other things, but it's like, yes, we won't insure this unless like this specific company delivers it to your place. But I tried, it's the, it's such a nightmare. This country's healthcare because I tried calling people and then ended up going in circles. But long story short, I, it's like $400 for two weeks worth of oh, of uh injectable estrogen so i don't really have the funds to support that so luckily i have some other people that get it a little bit cheaper so i've been getting it from they've been kind enough to sort of give me some of theirs in the meantime but it's such a ridiculous state that we've created here with a private industry where i have to go around and <laughs> crowdsource my my own medication that i need to survive oh my god that is ridiculous that is ridiculous jesus christ um i'm sorry about that like that is a huge example right there they can't even do a proper fucking delivery with these damn insurance companies just to get it to you like they say they're going to get it to you but they got to put you in circles like that just doesn't make any doggone sense whatsoever like and and um so husky you're you're not you i am not on husky i have anthem i know a lot of people that are in husky though okay okay yeah i've heard about anthem a little bit because i used to do like the insurance like dispatch for like uh medical um transportation and everything um okay okay Anthem sucks. Wow. Um, that's not right. Yeah. So I'm glad that you're able to find people that can help you out. And that's why it's such a big deal for community right there. That's mutual aid right there. Because if you didn't have that, literally, like you'll have a big issue that the state is it's the state's problem that they allow this stuff. And there's a huge attack on trans people right now. I mean, always been, but like even like it's getting deep in the court systems right now. And I just don't understand. I saw a video of uh, Carly, um, our comrade Carly. She was on here. Yeah. Uh... Uh, you muted yourself. I'm not sure. <laughs> uh, you're still muted, it says. I'm not hearing anything. 
That's so weird. Oh. All right. Can you still hear me? Yes. Now I can hear you. Can you hear me? All right. We're going to do it this way. Yeah, we're going to do it this way. <laughs> Real quick. Okay. I think it is. Uh, it's my, there's probably a wiring issue. I hope my cats didn't F up the cords or anything. <laughs> uh, but that'll also be my fault because I left it for two days on the table. Um, I was talking about um, how how the attacks towards like the court systems and one of the big things that they're doing is trying to like regulate what's happening with trans youth that are getting into sports and carly was on a video explaining um and giving the education rather um about how how this is just a, a stupid issue you just, this person is literally uh transitioning um, and they are a part of this sport because they have a talent. And a lot of trans people aren't popular at all because they're not as talented. But the only people that are getting uh, um, getting attention really in these sports are, oh, okay, they're talented. So there's a trans LeBron, basically. Okay. <laughs> there's, a, there's, there's a trans Mina Nunez. Okay. Yeah. And they're all about, they're all dominating just like, this, their cisgender uh, counterparts are dominating, but when they dominate, it makes it look like, oh, they're taking advantage of the sport. Um, and they, they, this lady tried to defend a hairline fracture to her, and I'm like, okay, so you're talking about this lady that gave this other person she fought a hairline flat fracture, and then next fight she had, she got her ass beat. But no one's saying about how she got her ass beat in that last yeah. fight. But they're talking about her giving another person a hairline fracture. Do you not understand how violent MMA is? MMA is yeah. about killing each other. It's a kill each other sport. You sign a waiver, you go into the octagon, and you get fucked up, or you fuck somebody up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, that's but yeah, that's because it's not about actual fairness in sports. It's just about transphobia. Like, yeah. I know, yeah. I'm trans and I am not, boy, if I went into sport, I would not do well. I'm not very athletic. <laughs> <laughs> and like, but it's, yeah, it's ridiculous. It's just another, you know, cultural scapegoat to like, you know, prevent people from actually contemplating about the actual art, how our economic system is structured and the injustices there, they need to create right. some sort of bullshit outrage about, yeah, like trans people in sports, which is dumb because they also, when people talk to me about that, I always refer to them of the uh, story of uh, there is a Finnish uh, cross-country skier um, mm -hmm. I think their name was, I'm going to butcher it. It's like Eero Mentrea or something like that. And there are statues of this guy around Finland because of how good at cross-country skiing he was and all the medals he brought home and stuff like that, going to the Winter Olympics and such. And he was so good because he had a genetic, um, he had a genetic disorder, which caused uh his like blood to carry way more oxygen to mm -hmm. all, 
to his veins and basically like his face was always red because there's so much like oxygen to it but basically it allowed him to have wave like a ton of stamina or stamina because of that and (laughs) yeah it's dope that's like awesome for you for like nature is cool and but also like that like because people when it comes to like transgender people in sports people are like will refer to like genetics or something like that and like, always that's just the biggest defense like really yeah exactly <laughs> but like if if this guy who literally had a genetic disorder that let him win cross country and have a ton of stamina and he can have statues built in his home country celebrating right. celebrating him like why what despite even with the argument of like if you want to give them like chromosomes even though they're you know x x and like the chromosomes aren't always exactly what people think they be like unless you get tested your chromosomes could be who knows what they could be people intersex people have you know all kinds of chromosomes but even foregoing that let's say sure there's a genetic difference but there's a genetic difference between all athletes to assume that all athletes are genetically on the same level or something like that. You can just point to that. And that has never mattered in the history of sports. Right. Nobody has ever been like like Tom Brady or LeBron. Like Tom Brady's a freak of nature. He has a dad body (laughs) and he still get rings. LeBron is a freak of nature giant. Like this guy, I thought he was juicing, but I guess he's not. But like he, he outdoes everybody in sports. Like everyone, he just outscores everyone. Yeah, you don't see people getting, yeah, banned for, yeah, like Tom Brady. You don't see like Michael Phelps losing all of his medals because his lungs are bigger than everybody else's or something like that. Right. Like, or his arms are too long or something like that. You don't, you don't see that in sports because people don't actually care about like if there's genetic fairness because in sports you kind of have to accept that there's not going to be because human beings are different (laughs) and to each other, but it's only when trans people get involved that suddenly everybody cares about genetics. And then that's when it gets transphobic and hatred and stuff like that. Like what are you doing with these kids? Like what happened in Connecticut? Like, can you talk about what happened in Connecticut recently? Cause I know that you were involved with that. Uh, We were supposed to be talking about your music, but we did got into so many different great conversations. (laughs) I'm about to get you back on later. <laughs> it's all good. Um, yeah, I mean, when it comes to uh, yeah, the trans stuff, I mean, there are just a couple of trans women that uh, participated and succeeded in, a, I believe it was the States, um, and won a couple of medals at the States for track and field. And that... Uh, Again, it was the exact same situation that you described before of suddenly everybody was in an outrage because here are talented trans women that are succeeding in their sport because they're talented. And suddenly that becomes an issue. And I believe the some I forget which conservative some conservative think tank organization, basically a bunch of uh, cis women got upset that they lost to some trans women. And so the conservative think tank went to them and said, we'll give you lots of funds to sue the state. And um, 
basically to ban trans women in sports because uh, because you lost to them, basically. But again, it's like how you explained this. Sure, they won the states. They won this one round of states, but they've gone to states before and lost. They've gone to other meets um, and lost. Like, <laughs> that, that was just the one time that they won. And nobody talks about all the times that they lost. And nobody talks about the hard work that they've done to to get to where they are. And like I said, like I can I couldn't do what they're doing. <laughs> and um and but because people just wanna they like to latch on to that um that one win and ignore all the others, yeah, the state of Connecticut is being sued. Um and I know there are similar. I, to my knowledge, so I know, I know if you don't. Yeah, to my knowledge, I think it's still going on. Um, and like right now, trans uh, women or trans people are still able to participate in this uh, in the sport of their um, gender, and um, which is great, but it's it's just. It's such a ridiculous outrage that has even become like a national thing. Um, but yeah. uh, hopefully I know that like the the people who are suing have a lot of financial backing from conservative institutions. Um, but Connecticut funny. has luckily it's it's one of the better states there's uh, in terms of just uh yeah, laws and rights for transgender people. There's certainly a lot that can be improved. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but uh, so, and there are lots of people out there on the ground. Um, and yeah, I remember organizing, uh, starting to organize protests myself um, with Carly um, regarding regarding that particular uh, issue that's in the courts. Um, so there are a lot of great people on the ground as well that are really pushing this and making sure that Connecticut sort of uh, uh, holds its line that it has already set in the law and doesn't change it. Um, so there's lots of amazing, great uh, trans activists out here in Connecticut that I have the privilege of knowing. And because um, they're all great people like Carly and yeah, they're all working extra hard to make sure that everybody gets to, you know, play in the sport that they should be playing in. Right. Stuff like that. Yeah, that's really dope. And, you know, like, that's one thing I, I've noticed about living in Connecticut, that when you go out into these streets and you organize, it's a lot of queer people, a lot of queer and trans people that are out in these streets organizing, fighting for Black Lives Matter, all kinds of things, especially, like, uh, people of color. Like, you know, like, I mean, majority of the anti, the, the people that ran the anti-police brutality uh, protests, is, they were all queer. Um, like, so it's like, we we literally try so hard to show out for our community. Like, and it, it pisses me off the way they attack my trans siblings and all the work that y'all do. And this is just so goddamn, like, I'm ready to punch motherfuckers in the face. Like, <laughs> I'm so ready to, like, Knock somebody out. That's how. That's how angry. Like at my job, you hear all the time. Like with these high testosterone, just growing so strong in these in the 
that think they know the world and they they like to dictate what what I should do with my life because they found out that I'm pansexual. Like I can only imagine the kind <laughs> of transphobia uh, one of my trans siblings will go through if they worked at that job. Like it's just it's ridiculous. Like there is a hate toward towards um, femininity. There's a hate towards being different. There's a hate towards um, not being a cisgender man. Um, cisgender mm-hmm. men get too much power, and especially such white gender men, they get way too much power that they can just go around and dictate how the world should just go. And I feel that they are afraid of that power, which is why they are leading in this and 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 um, confusing our uh, confusing uh, women that could be allies, um, but they they also get caught into the misogyny trap as well too. Like this is straight up like a part of patriarchy. This is this is. Starstruck, like Christian oppression. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yeah. No, it's it's ridiculous that the the tax attacks that are going on right now. I sort of understand the context of which they're happening, in which yeah, people are are looking to be angry at something because of the state of our country and the economy, and conservative institutions want to find good reasons to have pe- them blame that aren't the economy and the right. structure of our society. So trans people, of course, are just sort of used as a punching bag for these folks. Um, but luckily, yeah, there is such an amazing uh, queer community in Connecticut. I am so like grateful for all of the people, queer people in my life that I know. And that's like, yeah, there's so many like organizations like the New Haven Pride Center does a lot of good work um, and sort of building the community. And I know that, you know, staying connected and things like that allows us to to get by, you know, like you said, it's a extension of mutual aid um, of like I am able to have my medication because other people are willing to other trans people are willing to help me get it. Because we're all going through the same struggles right now, one way or another. And, um, you know, it's a lot easier to create, uh, you know, not only like political power, but just like helping each other get by in the day to day of building a strong community that shares its resources and helps each other, um, you know, until we can create a situation and a state where we actually have a government that uh, fills in those gaps, uh, it's up to the communities to fill in those gaps ourselves. Right. Right. Exactly. <laughs> and I think that's the best way to end this because I don't want to take more of your time. And I definitely got to get you back on here again so we can talk so about some other issues. Talk about your actual music. You have, <laughs> you have an album coming out. Right, you got it. I literally mentioned that, or am I correct? I am currently working on it. It's a work in progress, so I don't we have any anything. So- I have new songs that I'm recording, and I will come awesome. out with I don't know album title things like that at some point in the future. Hopefully, hopefully before next time we talk. <laughs> and where, where can they catch you? Because you already have music out anyway. So, uh, one song I love that she has is "Eat the Rich and Feed the Poor." I love that song. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah, it's a crowd favorite uh, for good reason. But yeah, uh, I'm on, my stage name is Villette Asylum. 
Uh, and I am on Spotify. I have my album on Spotify, and then I have more music on Bandcamp. Uh, just because Spotify is Spotify, and you have to pay yeah. to have your music up there, and they don't pay you back. And um, so I have more music on my Bandcamp, which is the same, Villette Asylum. Uh, but otherwise, you can find the first album I released on Spotify. Awesome, awesome. Thank you so much, Tanya, for coming on. And I hope you have a really good day. It's a Sunday, so I hope you can have a Sunday fun day. Um, and have a good work week. Enjoy your day off. Are you off today? Yes, I am. Enjoy your weekend. Okay. Enjoy your day off. Well, rest. <laughs> Thanks. Crazy the, this week of Christmas. <laughs> yes, the holidays. Hope oh, you have goodness. a good holidays too. Hope you get I'm through trying. it. Again. I'm <laughs> trying. I had fun yesterday. <laughs> I went to That's my good. girlfriend's uh, mom's house, uh, grandmother's house, and she had like a little shindig going on. It was fun. I had fun. I got shot nice. a lot with Nerf guns, but because you, <laughs> you know kids will be kids. But all right. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, of course. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Tony, I'll talk to you later. And everybody, have a really good day today. Um, goodbye, everyone. Goodbye, Tanya. Bye. It's nice Effectively transforming community. Peace in our human family. Volume and unity. Divine light shining individually. Effectively transforming community. In our human family One love the pain in my soul The red pill dissolved Organized, no matter the cost Politicians starts wars, they don't fight They sit the poor And nothing lasts forever as long as we stay together Give hell to the masses Watch the unity rapture. This is for the kids and the culture. It's one love, one growth, one light. Light warriors.